Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, is a movie based on the coming-of-age bestseller by Judy Bloom. As we look at a common theme in literature and movies when it comes to these tales that showcase such rites of passage, where they typically involve giving young people a means to fix their lives outside of the purposes of God. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a soon-to-be-released movie by the name of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And talking a little bit of the coming-of-age genre as a whole because of really what it has pushed for years and years and years on so many young people and how it really has helped to develop people into a state of understanding when it comes to what they should be thinking or doing or accomplishing in this life. And as we do get into it, we want to ask you, if you can right now, to make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a comment, hopefully of encouragement, and also even leave a review if you're one of those who listen uh, via podcast. It's always great to have a nice review on there. It helps the episodes go up to the top so we can get messages out to warn people and ultimately to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need it the most. So with all of that, this new film that is coming out is one that I guess has been 50 years in the making. Judy Bloom, the writer of the book, actually did not approve of any such film until more recently. And now with Rachel McAdams leading the way on this film, a lot of people are maybe wondering what it may be about. She's been a big star with movies like Mean Girls as well as The Notebook And now a lot of people think this is going to be such a great tale for people to hear. And so many, I mean, by the millions, have read the coming-of-age book by Judy Bloom that the movie is based on. So I want to give a little background on what the book and now movie is about because, of course, when you're asking the question, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. It is comes into question whether or not somebody's actually speaking to the one true God. And it might even get you to think, like, is God really listening to me? So what is this story about? The book, which is now being turned into a film, is about a young lady by the name of Margaret that is going through a lot of changes. Margaret Simon is a sixth grader who grows up without a religious affiliation because of her parents' interfaith marriage. The contemporary realistic novel was popular with middle grade readers for its relatable portrayal of a young girl confronting early adolescent anxieties, such as bras, menstruation, and boys. The recipient of the National Honors and Book Awards, the novel has been challenged for its frank discussion of sexual and religious topics. Now, the story as it goes is one that has Margaret with her mother and father, one of Jewish descent being her father, and one that claims to be from a Christian religious background, and with these grandparents that play a pivotal role in the story. But before you really even get into that, you do have her crying out to God for different things, but one of the things you have her doing in the story is meeting these young girls at her age, and they're all ultimately waiting to have their first period, and they make a secret club, And there are some very awkward things that take place 
in the novel. In fact, this novel is quite popular, not only when it was written in the 1970s or in 1970s specifically, but even when it comes to modern day. That's why it's being put into a movie with mega stars in it, uh, because this novel is still considered quite popular. In fact, in 2010, when Time Magazine talked about their top 100 novels that were written in English, it's included in there. And in the most recent Scholastics, in terms of their view on the top 100 books, it's right towards the top for young books for kids. Now, this book, I can tell you right away, is not one that actually is for kids. It is one that is very uncomfortable to read, especially if you're a young man reading this. It would be very weird. Don't worry. She made another one for men, uh, young boys who are going through puberty as well. But this one has a lot of situations that are very uncomfortable that I think typically would be best spoken about with a mother. And this is something that the scriptures actually showcase. And it's not just simply complaining about what the problem is, but it's actually always giving an answer. And that's ultimately what God's word always does. In fact, when you read through the book of Proverbs, it does this over and over again. In fact, there's a literary device that is called Hebrew parallelism. And one of the things that the scriptures do when it comes to parallelism is use different forms of it. And one of those is antithetical parallelism, where it's going to take a certain a scripture, and it's specifically Proverbs, and I'll read through just a couple in Proverbs 12 to give you guys an idea, but it's not just sitting there and telling you how terrible things are and how horrible things are, but it's always going to give you an answer. And so this is one of the things that takes place in antithetical parallelism. And you see it in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, for example. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Verse 2, a good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will not be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness, to his bones. And you see this parallelism used over and over again in the scriptures to showcase, hey, this is something that's bad, and here is something that's good. One of the great things about the Word of God is it doesn't just simply complain that things are bad. It says there is a way to get away from it to some degree or another, some of which are things of turning from the sin and going away from it so that you are not sowing into the flesh and reaping corruption, but that you're sowing into the Spirit and reaping eternal life. Other ways the Bible describes this is also showcasing what the wicked do versus what the righteous do. For example, in Psalm chapter 1, you have a man who meditates on God's Word day and night, who's like the tree planted against the water, who bears fruit in its season. Then you have, and everything he does, he prospers. Then you have the other, the one who sits in the seat of scoffers, who obviously does not meditate on God's word day and night. And it says that he is like the bark that's blown away when the when the winds come by. I mean, it's so clear that we don't just simply get the complaining of the wicked, but we get, hey, as a righteous person, here's what you can do. And ultimately, the most important thing is the fact that Jesus Christ came and made a end of sin, as it talks about in Daniel chapter 9, when it prophesied of the Messiah to come, that he would come and pay for the sins of the world. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. So when we look upon him and put our trust in him and our faith in him and what he's done, we have the blood put on our door, the doorpost of our heart 
so that, guess what? When God sees us, he doesn't see the unrighteous deeds that we've done. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, and we've been bought and paid for by him and him alone. And so when we see this, we see this happen all the time, that the world will make suggestions to you on how to deal with certain things. In the case of this novel slash movie, the suggestion is made that ultimately you can just pray to any God you want to. And the God that you pray to, he'll be able to to talk with you. And it's totally separate from being a part of any church or congregation and so forth. In fact, Judy Bloom herself had this to say, because I kind of wondered what her background is with all of this. And this is what she had to say. And you can see this on her website. And like Margaret, speaking of herself, I had a very personal relationship with God that had little to do with organized religion. And when you look at the story, there is a, a couple of chapters dedicated to the fact that her mom's side of the family and her mom not wanting her to have any religious affiliation. In fact, you can actually hear Rachel McAdams, who is going to play or who is set to play the very mom that we're talking about here. She talks about how in the film, that's the one thing, actually. She mentions that nothing is overly strained but they let Margaret figure things out by herself. Oh, of course, except for terrible religion. I appreciated that it was it was not overly strained. You know, she she's she's kind of letting Margaret figure life out for herself. The only place where she's a little bit heavy handed is when it comes to religion, you know, just because she wants to protect her from being hurt the way that her character was. So um, but I love that she was kind of a hey, life is weird and I'm figuring it out still and just come to me if you need anything and I'm just going to try to be the best person I, and the best support I can and I really like her as a mom. I point that out because it might not, it might just on the surface not seem too bad. Oh, she just wants to protect her from religion. But the truth is, is the religion she's trying to protect her from is supposedly the Christian religion. And what takes place in the novel, obviously the, the movie has not come out yet, but what takes place in the novel is that first her grandparents come and ruin her trip to Florida, she's supposed to take with her Jewish grandmother, who she had already gone to temple with and had a much greater relationship with. But when those grandparents visit, they're really upset because she's supposed to be a Christian because she was baptized as a baby. And so they're really upset. It creates this big argumentation. And then next thing you know, they leave and dip out early. But her grandma comes with her boyfriend. Her Jewish grandma comes with her boyfriend And now she's upset because you should be Jewish because you were born Jewish. And so basically what happens is Margaret stops praying to God, stops talking with God, and ultimately doesn't come back to praying to the God she's been praying to until the end of the novel, and that's when she finally gets her period. And so this is what this coming-of-age novel has pushed, this idea that you can really just have God as the whatever means you believe you have him. In fact, that's actually the beginning premise right away in the story that really God's connected to everybody. And it's this ooey gooey understanding of a God that doesn't care what you think or believe really, and ultimately just connects with everybody. Now, I believe God connects with everybody, but I believe in Isaiah chapter seven, when he talks about the God with us, Emmanuel, that is coming for somebody who is in Christ, that's really exciting. But for those who are not in Christ, the second coming specifically, it is not a good thing for those people. Uh, It's great for us. We get to be with Jesus forever, but it's not a good thing 
for those who are going to be caught outside of the grace of God. That's pretty heartbreaking. And so we have to think about it in that regard and what the truth actually is and what Jesus actually says. And here is the issue here and with a number of coming of age genre books and movies. And these have been some of the more popular movies. And I think They've really hit, I guess, a turbo button when it came to the 80s and the 90s and then really being more even obscene than they were in the 80s when it was already bad enough. But these are some of the movies to get an idea of what it is meant by the coming of age because what's happening is that believers, not just believers, but people are being substituted. Instead of getting what the Bible describes is how can a young man keep his way pure by guiding it according to your word? They're getting, actually, when you're going through these issues, when you're coming of age, so to speak, here's what you should do, and this will give your life meaning and purpose and so forth. And the genre is actually spelled out this way. The coming of age genre is a type of movie focused on a child or teenager's transition from childhood to young adulthood. Typically, a protagonist faces a new challenge, in which they begin to lose their childhood innocence. So that's the kind of premise and idea. Now, there were teenage angst films that were very popular, like Rebel Without a Cause and so forth. But I'm going to kind of pass those up and go to a little more modern. And and some of these films you might have seen, and some of these are some of the more popular films out there, period. And really, this truly is that moving out of that childhood innocence age and ultimately telling people by way of film, pushing these things, hey, instead of following what scripture says to keep your way pure, guiding according to his word, how blessed are the man whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, blessed meaning happy, the thing that you'll find fulfillment is when the fulfillment is found in Christ and not in yourself or in other means and so forth. These are some of the top films that are considered coming of age genre Films And we'll go a little bit, not really on in order chronologically, but some of the bigger films. One of the more popular ones is Breakfast Club, where Molly Ringwald, who typically is a big uh, popular actress in uh, these films, as well as in 16 Candles, they end up being stuck at Saturday school. And this was a film that I had seen a number of times. I was a wrestler in high school. I still coach wrestling. My little kids wrestle. And Emilio Estevez plays a wrestler who took a hazing prank way too far. And so ends up on Saturday school with a bunch of what most people would point and say, these are just degenerates and losers. But yet what happens is they end up becoming best friends, even though they have nothing to do with one another. And the popular girl falls for the weird guy and so forth. And hey, this is the coming of age. And so guess what? If you're one of these weird people, maybe you can find the beautiful girl. And guess what? If you're one of the beautiful girls, maybe you'll fall for the weird guy or whatever it may be. And then you have movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Dazed and Confused or 16 Candles where Molly Ringwald, guess what? What's going to give her purpose as a young girl in high school? Oh, make sure you kiss the best looking guy on your 16th birthday. Or movies like Stand By Me where it's young kids on a mission because they find this dead body and they're going to be able to show it and show everyone about this dead body. And then they get encountered with all sorts of things that take place as they 
have all these experiences that happen and one of the characters actually being reminded by someone of his crazy father who lost his mind after storming the beaches in Normandy. Or even if you go into movies like Varsity Blues, where you have the small town area where they have this wonderful football team with James Vanderbeek from none other than Dawson's Creek and Paul Walker. And guess what happens? They have this football team and Paul Walker, the star, who's going to be able to get out of the small town and away from the small town and finally be able to go and get a college scholarship for his football skills. Well, he gets a major injury, so that goes by the wayside. And James Vanderbeek, who just wants to go to Brown University, goes and guess what? He's going to go and win the title. But guess who's really mean? Their coach is really mean. So to win the title, they need to kick him out so they can do their fun hook and ladder plays so they can ultimately win the game and they can get out of the small town and away from their family. And this is a very popular thing amongst so many of these coming-of-age tales. Let's get people away from family. Let's go have them leave and go to the big town. Let's have them become a star and leave the family behind because, you know, they're just old and they don't understand our ways And so what happens is the reality, because we don't live very far from Los Angeles, the reality is so many actresses and actors that have come out here to Hollywood have basically, it used to be they'd get jobs as waiters and waitresses. So when you would go out to eat, you'd be there and they would be trying to find their roles. Some of them would make it, but most of them would not. And a lot of them, sadly enough, specifically the women, would turn over into pornography and other and other things like that. And it's really heartbreaking. And so away from their family, away from somebody holding them accountable to morals and basically on their own with people who don't really care about them. And it's a heartbreaking thing, but very popular. Then you had the entire series known as American Pie. This is probably one of the more obscene series for young men to watch nudity, all of the most disgusting things that go on and basically sleeping around and and having sex, that's going to bring them the enjoyment and that's how they come to age. In fact, one of them even sleeps with his friend's mom. I mean, it's just disgusting. This is the stuff of coming to age genre. And then you could move into movies like Superbad, which was once we get the girl and have the big party and get the alcohol and all that stuff and foul, nasty, disgusting language and everything. Super bad, really popular movie, right? Everyone's watching. It's a coming of age thing and it gets people excited to go to their parties. And maybe if I get the girl drunk enough and she drinks some alcohol that I can bring to her, then she could be my girlfriend and I won't be a loser. I'll be popular again or I'll be popular now. You just have all of these transformations and so forth. And it's like, hey, this will be if I get to this. And once we understand that people are different and we can accept them, this will bring us hope and joy. And the truth is, it is just a counterfeit. And the Bible warns about this over and over again about counterfeits. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it specifically talks about one of the counterfeits that Satan uses. And I, I want to start in verse 15 because it's a beautiful set of scriptures. And here's what it says. It says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And so what do we have there? A counterfeit of the Holy Spirit is 
getting drunk, which, by the way, getting stoned and drunk is 90% of the movies I mentioned bring that up. But nonetheless, when you look at that and you see Satan will bring a counterfeit to the spirit, you can see it so clearly that he would do that. And in fact, Jesus actually warns about counterfeits as well. Counterfeit shepherds that may come to teach you other ways. In fact, it talks about this. We, we all Plenty of people know this verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. But what is the context of that verse in John 10, 10? Let's read the entire section in John 10, 10, right after ch- chapter 9, where he's healed the blind man who's been kicked out of the synagogue, Apasunagoge, kicked out of the synagogue rather than Epasunagoge, the gathering together. And here's what it says in John 10, starting at verse 1. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. If somebody teaches you there's some other way to find this salvation, to find this life, whether you believe this is him specifically talking about the synagogue being put in or out of the synagogue, or whether you see it as a parallel to salvation because he uses that term saved, it should mean the same thing regardless. That the thief is coming to try to push you to some other way that there is some other way to find this, to find salvation, than outside of the parameters of Scripture, outside of what Jesus had described for our salvation. And this is exactly what all of this genre has done. God, are you listening? The sad thing is, is that we have to remember what the Bible says. The prayers of the unrighteous, God says, are an abomination to him. Right? It's the effectual player of the righteous man availeth much. And, and this is something that's really important. We just talked about this on an episode recently regarding a football player who, who had fallen ill and everyone's praying for him. And one of the things we brought up was Jonah. The fact that when Jonah was on that boat heading to Tarshish, guess what? All of them said, we're going to go pray to our God. What God do you have? And ultimately, the only one that was actually answering was Jonah's God. We have the one true God. We have the one true answer. We have the only hope that doesn't go away. And we need to not only preach that, we need to preach that in contrast to the false idols, the false stories, the false parables that are not true parables of Jesus, that are not true parables that line up with what the Word of God has already stated. So when we see these things and we see people being influenced by them, these coming-of-age tales that, by the way, I stated all of those things to you from those movies completely by memory of things that I saw before I was ever saved. Every single one of those films that I mentioned, I saw before I was saved. And sadly enough, so many people, so many people just watch it and it's, it's no big deal, has no effect, but it has a, a big effect. 
because people watch those films and they start modifying their behavior based on their favorite characters. And they start looking to those things as a means for purpose. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find our purpose completely in God himself and in knowing him. And I say all that because of something recent as well. I wanted to talk about this uh, just for a second, um, just for to end this on uh, a somber and happy note, uh, if that makes sense. And uh, this is because uh, for, for all of you who have been watching Good Fight, uh, you've probably seen different series that we have. We have an entire series on pornography. And one of the things we did was send out our friend Nico out to the streets and ask people questions regarding pornography. And the one who filmed all of that behind the camera was one of our good friends uh, and brothers in Christ named Nick Palmieri. And we actually did conferences and he was alongside of us at Good Fight conferences that we did or conferences that we went to. And I know he loved wearing his uh, his Good Fight t-shirt. In fact, I'd see pictures of him while he was up in Idaho as part of a church plant that we were doing up there. And he would be in his Good Fight Ministries t-shirt so often, the Good Fight Radio Show t-shirt. And he was a very close brother of mine. I, I got to have the privilege of helping disciple him uh, for a number of years, specifically during the lockdowns, uh, when I first learned how to play worship guitar, we did it together, practicing together. And he was a great brother and a wonderful minister of the gospel, and we lost him uh, last week. And so everyone here at Good Fight has been hurting, um, and it's been a difficult thing when you lose someone you care about and you love. Um, and I had talked to him uh, for about three hours, just a couple nights before he passed. And one of the things we were discussing and it was in line with 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul talks about how we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And I said, man, sometimes we just have to fight for the joy of the Lord. We need to get to that place, just like Paul was in Philippians chapter 4, where he understood that secret, that secret of being joyful no matter what, whether he was abased or abound, whether he had everything in terms of financially or had absolutely nothing, whether he was in prison or he had all this money, that he was either, he, it didn't matter if he was a base or a bound, he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him, which obviously for some people, they take that verse well out of context, I think sadly for most people, but nonetheless, that had to do with making sure that money or anything like that would ever change the fact that we have Christ and that is where our joy is found. That's the secret, is finding contentment in Christ. And I had preached that to him and we were talking about it and just discussing it with scripture as brothers do. And uh, when he passed, I had to listen to my own sermon that I had, uh, you know, given him and, and deal with it practically. And I stayed up all night, unable to sleep, writing down scripture after scripture. But the one that stuck on my heart so much and uh, really was one of the linchpins of my prayer for nights uh, with no sleep as I missed my friend and I was sad that he was gone um, comes from Isaiah 61. And what's beautiful about Isaiah 61 is the fact that Jesus actually quoted from this in Luke chapter 4, when he, and he actually described it after reading it, said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is the scripture that he shared. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And now Jesus, a little bit later, he shuts the book halfway through, I believe, pointing to his first and second coming there, but closing it because he had a purpose he was fulfilling. 
But it was the binding up of the brokenhearted when I was sad and when my friends were sad and we were texting each other and calling each other, spending that time saying we miss our friend. That's one thing I kept crying out, Lord, I thank you that you are the ones who binds up the brokenhearted. So if you've lost someone uh, that you care about and you love and you've seen guys who are soldiers for Christ, used mightily for the Lord like my friend Nick was, uh, know that God, uh, he binds up the brokenhearted and for those who are in Christ, we'll get to be with them forever, singing next to Jesus forever, if you know Christ. So I want to encourage you guys with that, because I want to comfort you with the comfort that I've received, and that's the comfort I received from the Word of God, treasured in our heart, that we might not sin against Him, and turn to Him, and put our trust in Him completely. This has been Chad Davidson, this is the 511 News. God bless you guys. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.